If you left your workplace tomorrow, would they miss you? Would they miss you? I mean, I, I know they say they'll miss you. You know, they'll pat you on the back as you walk out the door and be like, I miss you. But on the other hand, you know, the other hand's going, yes, yes, right? No, would they miss you? We all, we all have this desire to be a linchpin. Now, uh, a literal linchpin, a literal linchpin is a piece of metal, a pin, a piece of metal that is put into something that, that, that keeps at least two things together. For instance, if you have a trailer with a truck, you have a, a ball and you've got a hitch, but you have a linchpin that goes, goes in, in, in that hitch to keep it all together. I mean, maybe some of you have experienced either seeing driving down the highway or seeing in your rearview mirror because your trailer did this back there because you remember to hook the chains on, but you don't remember to put the linchpin in, and the trailer's back there just doing this, and, and you know, that's one of those oh crap moments, right? Oh crap moments. And, and so, like, this is, this is not good. But we desire to be a linchpin in life, in, in life, that if, if we left, if we left, then the organization just wouldn't be the same. And we really, especially, I mean, when we're talking about this group of people here, we got no newbies here this morning, we want you to feel like you're a linchpin inside of Crosspoint, that if, if I was not here at Crosspoint, man, you know, something would be missing, something would be missing. But maybe some of you feel weak around that. As you say, I, I don't have the right education. I didn't go to seminary. I didn't get the call to be in ministry, which is bogus, but that's, that's a separate uh, uh, sermon. Uh, maybe you feel like I've got too much baggage. I've got too much sin. I was too far away from God. Or, you know, I didn't grow up in church. I didn't have the right family. What, whatever. You just licked your iPad. Like, oh, it looked like it. <laughs> like, what you, did you, like... Donut glaze, donut glaze, and ah, ah. <laughs> wow. Like, hey, less people, I feel I can do whatever I want to. Um, so, did I just say that out loud? Oh, oops. Anyway, <laughs> yeah, I know, I know. For those, for those listening by, via podcast, you're going to have some fun today. So, all right, all right, so. I, I, I only said you, right? I didn't say Lori. Where was I? Where was I? Okay, um, linchpin and something about people. Um, weakness, weakness. You feel weak. You feel weak about being a linchpin in, in church. And this is the same thing. This is the same thing that, that the, the church that we're looking at this morning uh, was, was dealing with. Jesus, Jesus gave seven... Por- no, that's not a self-portrait of me in high school. Uh, Jesus, Lydia, Lydia, calm down. I know you're leaving, but calm down, all right? By the way, by the way, she's gone during the summer, so if somebody wants to fill in, pro presenter, we'd love to train you. Um, you this same church, this church felt, felt, felt the same thing, weakness around uh, being a part of God's kingdom and being a linchpin in God's kingdom. But that's, that is a desire that we, that we have, and the performance review that we have this morning of this church uh, uh, speaks directly to that. So let's take a look at this performance review, 2,000 years in the making. Revelation 3, 7, write this letter to the angel of the church of Philadelphia. This is the message from the one who is holy and true, the one who is the key of David. What he opens, no one can close, and what he closes, no one can open. I know all the things you do, and I have opened a door for you that no one can close. You have little strength, yet you obeyed my word and did not deny me. Look, I will force those who belong to Satan's synagogue, those liars who say they are Jews but are not, to come and bow down at your feet. They will acknowledge that you are the ones I love because you have obeyed my commands 
to persevere. I will protect you from the great time of testing that will come upon the whole world to test those who belong to this world. I am coming soon. Hold on to what you have so that no one will take away your crown. All who are victorious will become pillars in the temple of my God, and they will never have to leave it. And I will write on them the name of my God, and they will be citizens in the city of my God, the new Jerusalem that comes down from heaven from my God. And I will also write on them my new name. Anyone with ears to hear must listen to the Spirit, understand what he is saying to the churches. And here, Jesus specifically talks about the church of Philadelphia being weak. We see one of the reasons why in this passage, but also, as I was reading commentaries and and reading about the church of Philadelphia, historically, the city of Philadelphia was weak because they dealt with earthquakes and natural disasters. And so when we think about earthquakes, we think about it through a first world mindset where we think of like, we've got this technology and we've we've come up with technology that we can go through a 7.0 earthquake and there's destruction and some lives are lost. But but when we're thinking about first century AD and before, we've got to think Nepal. Complete and utter destruction. Thousands of lives lost. I've got a friend that I've coached with. Uh, he goes to BBC and he's from Nepal and his family, his family, uh, they, didn't have, they didn't deal with death, but they dealt with just complete destruction of their home. They're outside the city. They're living in tents. And, and, and now they've got to go through, uh, get everything moved and rebuild. This was the same thing for Philadelphia. And it makes you weak when you go through natural disasters. Now, you might not be going through tornadoes and earthquakes and fires, and et cetera, et cetera but you might be going through something natural that com- brings disaster, that brings disaster and you feel it and you feel weak. And then this city also, or this church specifically, also dealt with spiritual bullies spiritual bullies, people who thought God loved them because of all the spiritual things that they did. And then they looked at this church and and them being so weak and so down and going, God doesn't love you. If he loved you, you wouldn't be so weak. When we face weakness, there are two basic questions that we ask. Now, we don't see this from this text specifically, but because we feel this and we ask these same questions in our life and because of how Jesus talked to this church in this performance review, I believe that they were asking these two same two questions. One, do I matter to God? Do I matter to God? Two, does God love me? Does God love me? When we come through difficulty and we come through weakness, we ask those two questions. Look, I've asked those two questions. Those of you that know, went up to Baldwinsville, New York, outside of Syracuse to plant a church. And when that folded, when that, when that went, went, went south, spent 18 years trying to find something, you ask yourself, do I matter to God? Does God love us? What's going on? And so, When we are dealing with those questions, how does Jesus answer those questions? See, the deal is, is that sometimes Christianity becomes the no question religion. Don't ask your questions. But Jesus deals with questions. He's willing to deal with questions. What does he say? What does he tell this church that's dealing with these questions and dealing with weakness? He tells them who he is, what he wants to do for them or on behalf of them, and what he wants to do inside of them. And he always starts, every single one of the churches, he starts with his characteristics, who he is. And who is he to this church? He says, I am, I am holy and I am true. 
There's nobody like him. And everything he says is 100% complete true. What is this talking about? He's dependable. Isn't that what we're wondering? Isn't that what we're wondering when we're going through hard times? Is, is Jesus dependable? Is God dependable? Can I depend on him? Do I matter to God? Do, does God love me? Can I depend on him? And Jesus is telling, telling him, no, circumstances does not mean I'm not dependable. Bad circumstances does not mean I'm not dependable. Actually, flip that around. In bad circumstances, I'm the only one you can depend on. Because of the rest of, rest of his description. He says, I'm the one with the key of David. This means he has all authority. He can open any door he wants to. He has all authority. Whatever he says goes. And if you don't have it yet, it's because he hasn't said it yet. And we can depend on that. And we can depend on the fact that he knows what's best. Because he can see a little bit more than what we can see. But, man, we know some of those guys. We know some of the, those guys that they're all talk, but they ain't got game. Jesus, he's all talk, and he's got game. He can back it up. He says that, that I'm the one that can open doors nobody can open, and I can shut doors that nobody else can shut. He's got the power. He's got the power. And, and when we're going through difficult times, isn't that what we want to know? Is he dependable? Do I have authority? Is there power available to me? Look, if you've noticed, if you've connected the dots through every one of these churches, who Jesus says he is to the church is what they need and what they want. Jesus is everything you want. He is everything you need. But to some of you, he doesn't mean anything. How do I know? You show up on Sunday and watch a show, and the rest of your week, you go somewhere else to find your, depend to find your dependency. You find your dependency somewhere else. That would be like showing up a rest at a restaurant once a week, seeing somebody eat, and go, I'm good for the week. I don't need to eat anymore. Jesus wants this to be one meal and a whole smorgasbord of meals throughout your week. Because he wants us to be completely dependent and completely desperate for him. Completely. And it starts with knowing who he is. And everything that we want and everything that we need is found in him. But he wants to do stuff for us, on behalf of us. First of all, with the spiritual bullies, he said, he said hey, I'm going to make them bow down to you. And I want to I make them know that I love you. They think I, they lo that I love them because of all the spiritual stuff that they do. It's a little bit of smack talk here by Jesus, right? They think I love them, but it's you I love. Maybe you're like, well, doesn't Jesus for so love the world, right? Well, we've talked about this. Jesus loves his children and his bride a little different than he loves his world. And at the end of the day, and at the end of time, What's going to happen is those who are spiritual bullies will bow down and realize that Jesus loves his church. Now, we love these types of stories. In fact, a Mashable email this morning that I received had this headline. I didn't, I didn't chase the headline, but I saw this headline of, of this, this gentleman that's rather large, this dancing guy, I guess got trolled on the internet. But some celebrities like brought him in for a party. 
This is the exact same concept. We love these stories. That this guy gets trolled because of, because, of, because of outward appearance, but some celebrities, the linchpins of our society, bring him in and say, no, 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 no. You can bow down to him. You can bow down to him. This is what Jesus will do for his church. But see, churches, churches have this tendency today to think that they have to force people to bow down to them. We hear this language. We're in a culture war. An attack on faith. An attack on the church. An attack on the Bible. An attack on Jesus. we got to do something about this. Yes, here's what we do. Hear and follow Jesus and let Jesus be the bad man. That's all we got to do. If you read the New Testament, you do not see anywhere about how we have to stand up and protect ourselves as a church. Jesus has got it. We just have to hear and follow him. And what he also said that he will do for them is that he will, he will make sure that they do not go through tribulation. And some of you are like, you hear that word, you're like, oh, right, here we go, charts and pre-trib and post-trib and I don't give a rat a trib. That's where I am. Because Revelation is more about today than it is about tomorrow. If you're following along with the reading plan and the, and the, and the blogs, you can see that. See, what I believe this means is that as I was studying about this church, this is the only one of the seven that has made, 19, made it 1,900 years till now. Doesn't that sound like I will protect you through everything? Any tribulation is not going to touch you. You're going to keep going and be a church. I mean, shoot, how about that cornerstone? Founded, A.D. 60. It's quite the cornerstone, isn't it? It's pretty amazing to, uh, to be able to make it through all of that time. But he doesn't just want to do stuff for us. He wants to do stuff within us. As Paul said, a promise from Jesus is this, is that he wants to do immeasurably more within us than we can ever ask or imagine. And see, Jesus put, to every church, Jesus put the reward last. Why? Because we have a tendency to seek his hand and not his face. He puts his characteristic first to say, seek my face and you'll receive what's in my hand. But if you seek my hand, you won't see my face. Dad, you know this. Especially dads of teenagers, you know this. What are you? An ATM. Boop, 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 ching. Boop, 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 ching. Right? 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 Dads. Permission to teach your kids to seek your face and not your hand. That way they can seek God's face and not your hand. But this is Jesus saying, if you find me, you'll find everything you want and everything you ever desired. But what's the reward that he wants to give his church for hearing and following and making it through? First of all, he wants to make them a pillar in God's temple. This church feels like jello. But Jesus said, no, 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 I'm going to make you concrete. What does a pillar do? It keeps the roof from becoming the floor. Right? It's a linchpin. It's an integral part of God's kingdom. This is what he's telling his people. If you follow the linchpin, if you follow the one that is the linchpin, I will make you a linchpin in, in my kingdom. But the temple, the temple isn't the symbol of God's presence. The temple is where God has dwelt for all time. 
starting in the Garden of Eden and now within us who believe. And what Jesus is saying is, I will make you strong in my presence. I will make you strong in my presence. Listen, 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 listen. If you feel weak in life, it's because you show up at church on Sunday and then walk somewhere else during the week. It is in his presence that you find strength. It is his, in his presence that he is the rock that won't move. That is where we find strength. Not in image, not in sexual encounters, not in relationships, not in addictions, not in addictions to work, not in addictions to fame. In him. That's where we are strong. And we know this. We, we recognize that when we walk away, we become weak, but we just, we just seem, sometimes it seems like we just can't help it, right? No matter how weak we feel right now, strength comes in the presence of Jesus. And he's given us three tools to find his presence. Prayer, Bible, and community. And specifically, maybe some of you need to find community because that, that is where the people of God come and come around you and encourage you, but also challenge you, stay in Jesus' presence so that you can find strength. But he also says that you'll never leave my presence. You're like, wait a minute. Hasn't he already, already said that with pillars? Because, I mean, I've never seen a pillar that walked off. If that pillar walked off, it'd flip us all out and it would cause major problems. All you architects in the room, right? But then he comes back around and says, you'll never leave my presence. If Jesus repeats something, we need to listen. Saying no matter what you do, how weak you feel, or why you feel weak, you will never, ever, ever leave my presence. When you wake up in the morning and his presence certainly doesn't feel like it's there, I'm there. When you're in your car and that dude, dude cuts you off and you don't feel like God's presence is there, he's there. In your home, God's there. In your work, God's there. At the lowest moment, God's there. At the moment that you, that, you, that you have fallen into that temptation and have sinned, God is still there wooing you back. In the worship service where you feel no closer to God, God is there. He is always there. You will never leave His presence. And He's doubly sealed this by the next reward. He's going to write the name of His God on us in the city of his God on us. For those of you with tattoos and have felt the spiritual ire from people finding some obscure verse in Leviticus to, 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 to hound you about that, just point to Revelation and say, I'm just practicing for the end times because Jesus is going to tattoo me. In fact, Jesus is tattooed as we see in Revelation. You're like, oh, pastor, that means you're getting a tattoo because it's okay. No, 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 no. Mine is more logical than that. See, we complain about doctors who take exorbitant amounts of our money to poke us with needles for our health. But then, but then we go to some dude with, with, with a scrap metal yard on his face, give him an exorbitant amount of money to poke needles in us, and we call that art. I don't get it. I don't get it. But anyway, anyway, what does this mean? What does this mean? Who passes down their name? fathers, right? To their kids. I'm going to tattoo God's name on you. This is saying that you are a child of God. 
And then I'm going to tattoo the, the name of, of God's city on you. What does this mean? That you are a citizen of God's kingdom by faith. And we have a king, but we have a daddy king who has adopted us into his family. That he will never, ever, ever let us go. And as Jesus says in, in John, nobody will ever snatch you out of my hands. You have a king, but he is also a daddy. And he will never let you go. As part of the reward that he gives us for faith. So, what do we do with this? Remember our first two questions? Do I matter to God? Does God love me? Consider this. You're created by God. And God died for you to free you of your sins, to bring you into his kingdom, and to adopt you as a child. Do you matter to God? Yes, he created you, and he died for you. Does God love you? Well, he created you, and he died for you. And as soon as we can answer that, and understand that from the depths of who we are. One, we become desperate for Him because He is everything we want and everything we need. But also, every single person, whether they can uh, 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 articulate this or not, every single person have, have, have these two questions deep in their core. Do I matter? Does anybody love me? And when we have these answered for our own life, what can we say? Jesus created you and he died for you to free you from your sin, to bring you into his kingdom and to adopt you as a child of his own. Jesus says, I will open a door that nobody else can close. Consider this. Consider God's love to be the key that will open even the hardest of doors. Not apologetics, not yelling at them, not saying, you're a sinner, you need to repent. But saying, you matter to God, and God loves you, because he created you, and he died for you. Now, I know everybody that's looking back at me, but at the same time, I don't want to pass this opportunity by. Maybe you would say this morning, I, I, I really technically, I'm a non-fan. I, would, I am somebody that has never asked Jesus to forgive me of my sin. I want you to know that you matter to God and He loves you. And how do I know that? He died for you to find freedom from sin. And there's going to be some people around that want the same thing for you. And I want you, I want you, if you're ready to put your life into Jesus' hands as Lord, to go to one of these and say, I am ready for Jesus to forgive me of my sin. But for the rest of you, that salvation has already been answered. Worship the one that loves you. I mean, come on, right? Come on. Worship the one that loves you, but also work on your prayer work this week. God, open doors for me to give your love to people. Open doors this week for me to give your love to people. Be looking for those open doors this week. Because Jesus loves everyone. Everyone. Let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, Lord, I thank you for this day.
Thank you for this time. I just pray, Lord, that you will um, move in our midst. Maybe move in somebody that's here this morning that, that has never fully trusted in you and, and, and is not saved, has not had their sins forgiven because they've asked. I pray, Lord, that you will work in their heart and work in every single one of our hearts to recognize that you love us. I pray, Lord, that you will work in our life to open doors this week to share your love. Just your simple love. You created us. You died for us. I mean, what more is love? What is more loving than that? In your name we pray. Amen.